Well, 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 here we are for yet another adventure of Engage. I'm the captain. I'm Captain Chase McKinney. And you know who's with me. I mean, he's pretty much always there. He's twiddling his thumbs, rolling his eyes at me in a very loving and respectful kind of way. I'm talking about the man, the myth, the legend. I'm talking about good old Commander Eric. What's going on, dude? Not much. I am definitely rolling my eyes at you. (laughs) After that kind of comment? Right, yeah. That's a comment. (laughs) Saying that I'm rolling my eyes deserves an eye roll. Well, I'm proud of you. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) I'm always here to do what I can. You know... That's that's why I pay you the big bucks. It, is it big? I mean, in the Federation it is. I mean, you're going from, like, double digits to, like, quadruple digits. I mean, they're all zeros, but, I mean, money isn't a thing. Right. So. Add a few more zeros on to the end of it. Well, if the first number is a zero, add as many zeros as you want, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, you can just... You can make it whatever you want you can have six seven eight nine ten figures of all zeros for all i care you're very generous you know it's what i do i mean we we're no longer motivated by the acquisition of wealth here in the late 24th century unless we are unless the plot requires it exactly so um well i know there that there's been um some chuckles here and there about uh, I think mainly from you Eric about like you know these these recap episodes that we're doing you could watch the episode in question that we're talking about two three four times in the time span it takes for us to to talk about it so how about this let's do our best I know we probably say that every time but let's legit do our best to try and keep this as close to an hour as possible if we end up at like four hours then cool if we talk about this episode for four hours, I have no idea what we're actually talking about at that point. <laughs> I don't know if well, it's possible to talk about this episode for four hours. It, I mean, all things are possible, my dude. All things are possible. I guess. <laughs> well, enough enough of that nonsense. Um, let's Let's go ahead and go ahead and start i think we're ahead of schedule we're at like two and a half minutes and we're already starting to talk about the episode this is amazing it is like let's just dive right into it like right now right now okay let's do it so previously on star trek picard stuff happened and now here we go where uh we get another flashback scene and i believe i said last week that this episode 100 percent will open with a flashback and that flashback yeah. will feature Seven of Nine. And boy, did you call that one. I mean, it was a pretty easy one to call. It seems to be the format of this show. We're going to start with a flashback of the character who... The important side character for this episode. Right, yeah. Like, that seems to be the formula where we're going to meet a new character of some kind at the, at the end. Uh, or we're going to allude to them in some way. And then Shazam the beginning of the next episode like you're saying we're gonna have some kind of callback to them 13 or 14 years ago and sure enough this this particular flashback takes place 13 years prior to uh where we're at today that is correct and um we're on planet vergessen which is german to like forget or in this context it probably means forgotten 
You said get. I mean, German means get. It means to forget, forget. Oh, to forget. Okay. Or in this case, it probably means forgotten. Okay, that's interesting. And if I'm not mistaken, did you study German in college? Is that what it was? I took two semesters of German because I had to, right? But okay. don't ask me to, like, talk in German or know a whole lot about German. I just, that word just sprung to me. It's a, it's an easy word to remember. Now, with that being said, was that, I'm, I'm assuming that was uh, one of the words that you, like, you remember learning, or was this something that you actually had to go look up? No, this is one of the words that, that we learned, right, when we were, when I was in German class. Okay. Yeah, because I did not take German at all. So shout out to all the German listeners out there if you're listening. What's going on, man? Um, okay, so that's interesting. So this, it's it's a, a German word or, or German origin of some kind, uh, and it's kind of you know conveying this whole forgotten area or forgotten people, kind of like what we're uh, about to come up on to a certain extent with. Um, with what happens in this next scene, and it's at a place called the Seven Domes, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the Seven Domes. And you know, when we get into this into this flashback, it, I I got I'm not gonna lie, I could not look at the screen like on my first viewing of this. Like it just it I, I winced way too much, and I just had to cover my eyes uh, with how gruesome. Um, this was, but upon the second and third viewing, I, it wasn't as bad. It's pretty gruesome. Like I'm not certain we've ever seen anything this graphic and this gory so up close in Star Trek before. Yeah, the thing that's coming to mind, and I'm I'm sure there are other things. I'm not saying this is the be all end all, but for me, I think the thing that comes closest to what we see um, on this operating room table in this particular flashback. I think the closest thing is in Star Trek First Contact in the holodeck whenever the safety protocols are taken off or get shot up and Jean-Luc Picard goes in and pulls out some tech and that's about it. Like that's that's the closest it comes for me. Yeah, that might be that might be pretty good. Um, nothing's jumping to mind that comes as close. I mean, maybe the scene earlier in Star Trek Picard in um, when we were with Soji and she was in that operating room in one of the earlier episodes. Okay. Right, where they were working on the nameless. Yeah, and they were taking off the, the face plate or, or head plate or whatever. Right. And you, ca- you saw, like, some some brain spaghetti stuff. Right, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's very possible. Uh, but I, I know we're kind of talking around this, but like in this particular scene, we see there's a Starfleet officer, former Borg, and and they're being operated on. And it turns out, uh, especially for anyone that might not have seen um, other iterations of Star Trek, this is Echeb from Star Trek Voyager. And uh, part of the thing that gave it away was like the nose piece that was missing. That was very characteristic of Echeb. And and then also how Seven of Nine is reacting to this whole process. But but did you know this was Echip before she said the name Echip? Because I totally didn't. I didn't know that. I had I, I wasn't a hundred percent necessarily um, that it was Echip, but it made sense prior to 
just by seeing the nose piece. Okay, because it's played by a different actor here than than it was yeah. played by on Voyager. Uh, I don't know the actor's name in this episode, but Manu Intiriyami, right? I hope, I'm yes. hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes, and uh, shout out to him if you're listening. Uh, he follows our uh, podcast Twitter and I think also our Instagram too. So uh, thanks for sharing the love with us. Yeah, so it's interesting. They've been able to get all of the same actors who played these characters previously, right? But could, could they not get Manu? Did he not want to? I find it odd that they, that they chose to have a different actor in this scene. It was a little odd, yes. And I want to talk about like this oddity of the casting um, later on as well. So I'm going to try and keep my finger on that button as best I can. Uh, but yeah, I would have liked to have seen him too. Uh, the guy that portrayed him, I didn't look up his age or anything, but uh, he kind of looked like he was in his 20s or maybe early 30s. And I think it would have made more sense to have... Uh, have the original actor portray Egypt, even if it was for just like this thirty-second scene, basically. You, I mean, you've got to believe that he would be willing to do it, right? I mean, Manu—he was in that Star Trek Renegades, that I guess is not mm-hmm. like official, but he was in that not too long ago. So you've got to believe that if they asked him, unless he like had a huge um, scheduling conflict, he would want to do it. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's he's talked about like Star Trek and a willingness to come back to Star Trek. So it was either a conflict or it was just an oversight by the production team. But um, one, there's been some noise that I've been kind of hearing here and there uh, in the you know few days since this episode premiered. They're like, well, they said that that Echeb was a science officer on this ship, and yet he was wearing command red, and. I don't think that really means anything in the grand scheme of things, especially if he was, if it was a science vessel, it's not beyond the realm of possibility to, you know, be in a command position and being a science officer. I mean, that's basically what Spock was doing, even though Spock wore blue in the original run, and then he ended up wearing command white in the movie era for original series. So I think people are getting bent out of shape about that, and I think it's a non sequitur, and just you kind of just need to leave it alone. I get it, but it's it's not worth arguing over, in my opinion. It's very nitpicky, like and things like that. Like I don't really care to get into the weeds on things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, for crying out loud, you had um, even in the motion picture. So you had uh, Stephen Collins' character of uh, William Decker. He was originally the captain of the refit enterprise, and then he got bumped down to commander, and then he was going to double a science officer. And he kind of did, to a certain extent. But again, that's getting in the weeds, and if you want to argue over that, have at it, but we're not going to. Um, I mean, it's he, he was on a science vessel, so there has to be some command folks, or command-type folks on that ship. So right, we'll leave, right. I mean, leave that Janeway's job before she became the captain of Voyager was as the science officer on the Albatani. That's true. So did she go straight from science blues to command reds or did she have something in between there? That's a good point. That's a very good point. And uh, maybe that's a conversation for some other day where we talk about 
change in divisions or something, because that kind of stuff's happened all through Star Trek. Absolutely, it happens. And, uh, anyway. So, very, uh, very intense opening to this this new episode of uh, Star Trek Picard, episode 5, Stardust City Rag. And, uh, anyway. So, going from there, I don't think there's anything else to really talk about. Um, it was a, I thought it was a pretty well, it was a well done scene and how it was shot, but God, it was gory. Yeah, no, I agree. It was, it was well done. I thought both Jerry Ryan and this new actor, I wish I had his name here. I don't, sorry. Um, I thought they both played it well and I thought it was a well filmed scene, right? Well lit, right? Everything about it, but you're right. It's very striking the first time you see it, just how gory and graphic this scene is. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my wife, she was watching it uh, with me on my third viewing last night. Uh, you know, the night before we were recording, and it was like she winced a little bit. I think, at least, I thought I saw her wincing. So, um, if you haven't seen it, and for some reason you're listening to this before watching it, one, what are you doing? Two, I guess, watch yourself. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey. Some people like some people like to get the recap first. That way, they can hear about all the things that are going to happen, and they can look out for them. And then they can see if, like, ah, yeah, I agree with them, or they are just completely wrong. They're just trolling us, man. Well, you know, hopefully, no one thinks that after listening. I to I would this. hope not. I would hope not. Uh, troll. Uh, like I, I refuse to be a troll about anything. Yeah, don't feed the trolls. Even man. even something I don't like, right? I'm not gonna come on here and just destroy it. Unless it's just a lot of fun. I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm not. That's not. That's not me. <laughs> it's not my place to come here and try and destroy something, right? If something happens and I don't like it, well, that's just my opinion. For sure. All right. So let's get into. The stuff. So we get like the the cool little opening with the Picard music. Wait, wait, wait! Hold on, hold on! Before we even get into the opening, this episode has a double flashback. Okay. Right. I mean, it's got the opening scene with Seven of Nine, and then before we go into the opening, we go we go. It says two weeks ago. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. More flashbacks. More flashbacks. Double flashback episode. Which everyone knows I'm growing weary of. Yes, yes. And this time we go to Stardust City on Planet Free Cloud. And who shows up? Finally, we get to see Bruce McGuffin. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Bruce Maddox, not McGuffin. <laughs> Would you like to supersize that? <laughs> like <laughs> Bruce McGuffin, right? Yeah, we we do meet him, and we f- and they're also uh, drinking something green. I mean, drinking something green apparently is a a thing in Star Trek. Yeah, it's 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 green. It is green. It is green. It is green. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they were able to somehow get some ecto cooler, you know, in the the late or in the early in here in twenty twenty, because that's what they were drinking on Next Gen was ecto cooler. Was it really? If you look it up, yeah. If you look it up, they were legit drinking ecto cooler. So that would be pretty cool if they were doing that again. It's always funny to find out what the real drink is that's the stand-in for the fictional yeah. drink. Like, mm-hmm. on Deep Space Nine, when they have the Cardassians and they're drinking Canar, it's supposed to be some thick, syrupy 
drink. Uh, Casey Biggs, who plays Damar, was actually drinking Caro syrup. Huh. That was what they used. <laughs> Just think about that. Just like trying to like take shots of Caro syrup. <sighs> Makes me cringe. Yeah. I could go off on a rabbit trail, but I don't really want to right now because it has nothing to do with Star Trek. Okay. Well, it's your show. I, I, I feel obligated. Okay, so on American Idol, back in the day, Kelly Clarkson, to prepare for her competition, she would take drinks of, like, vegetable oil to allegedly lubricate her vo- her vocal cords. So since we're talking about disgusting drinks just, for stand-ins, I just, thought I'd bring that up. That just sounds gross. <laughs> and I don't trust the science behind that statement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of kind of awkward. All right, moving on. Anyway, so Bruce Maddox drinks this drink, and uh, what? He collapses on the floor, and... Yeah, I thought he was dead in that scene. Like, really? Well, why would they go through all that trouble to have him, if they're just going to kill him anyway? Why not just kill him? Why have him drink which, some kind that's of poison? A, which, that's part of the question I'm asking for this episode. Well, they were going to sell him to the Tal Shiar. Yeah, yeah, yes. We'll, we'll get to that later. We'll get to that. Like, okay. Not, 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 not the Tal Shiar, but just other parts with Bruce Maddox. We'll get to that. Okay. But, yeah, okay, so I don't know where to, to put this in. Like, I don't know if I should put it in now or a little later. So I guess now, kind of, is appropriate. But Jazel. What a terrible name, right? You know, so it right. So Bejazel totally reminds me of the name of a demon called Izazel. Okay. And um, I think Izazel, if I'm not mistaken, is the demon that um, stands for or, or represents Legion, like says I am many, type of thing. So that's like the first thing that came to mind was like this d- d- demonic name of Izazel whenever I heard Bejazel. Okay. Not too far of, not it, too far it, of, a, of a, a stretch. Isn't Azazel the name of the demon in that Denzel Washington movie Fallen? Uh, perhaps. Do you know what movie I'm talking about? I don't think I've seen it, actually. But you know what it is, right? I've heard of okay. it, yeah. I think that is Azazel, and they call him, like, the spirit of the woods or something. Okay. But since we're, we're meeting her, meeting Bejazel here... I just want to talk about her. I mean, we're going to be talking about her later on, too. But were you getting some, like, major, like, TNG Deanna Troy vibes from her? I can see that. I think I think more of the vibes I got, there was that TNG episode where they go to this planet and this woman shows up and she claims to be, like, the devil. And where, like, mm-hmm. that planet had made, like, a deal, like, a thousand years ago. And the devils do, I believe. Right, yeah, the episode. yeah. Uh-huh. I got more vibes of that character, but I can I can totally see the the Deanna Troy vibe here. Absolutely. Like the way that her hair was pulled up, and even that like funky, um, like headpiece that she was wearing, like took me back to like season one Deanna wearing the funky triangular headpiece thing. And I swear, if they ever did like a remake or a flashback or something. She'd be a dead ringer for Deanna Troy from, like, the early years, as far as I'm concerned. No, I can definitely see that. Absolutely. Yeah, the people on Twitter and Instagram and even parts of Facebook have been kind of 
doing like these side by side comparisons of the of Deanna Troy and Bejazel and anyway, it's been it's been interesting to see that and um, it was kind of, it was kind of funny too, too. Like one of the things that I thought of with <laughs> with uh, Deanna Troy and Bejazel is in season one, uh, and I think Marina has even talked about this that she was the galactic cheerleader or the cosmic cheerleader or something with how she was dressed initially. And part of how Bejazel was dressed, even in this first scene um, that we're seeing here in this flashback, uh, she kind of has like a cheerleader vibe to it. So like, I don't know if any of that stuff was intentional. I can't think it wasn't just, I don't know. I mean, especially with Jonathan Frakes directing this thing. I know he probably doesn't make costuming decisions, but there were just a lot of comparisons, a lot of things that I was noticing with how she looked and and was dressed and stuff like that. So, anyways, moving on. Yeah, let's move on. We've spent too much time on this scene. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we, ha- I mean, so, like, there's not much going on in this scene, right? He just shows up, says his lab's been blown up. I think it was the Tal Shiar, and they poison him, whatever. With some ecto cooler, and he passes out. Right. All right, moving on. Save me, Eric. Okay, so we come back from the opening, and we are back in Holodeck Chateau Picard. Yes. Right? And I th- I think this is probably the best part of the entire episode, the interaction between Patrick Stewart and Jerry Ryan here. I thought yes. this was fantastic. This was, I thought this was a really good scene. There was another scene with them, too, that I really enjoyed uh, to a certain extent. But, yeah, this was a very good scene, and you could see the richness of the two characters, uh, even the richness of the actors portraying them um, as the scene just played out. Like, especially, you know, with with uh, Seven asking Picard, like, what are you doing out here? And he goes on to talk about you know, helping someone that doesn't know they're going to be a harm to themselves and, and stuff like that. And, um, and how she kind of like comes back on saying, okay, I'm in, I'm in basically and ask for like another shot of bourbon or, or whatever it was. Right. So I think, I think we see this, um, and seven basically explains that she's been a part of the Fenris Rangers, which, which Picard thinks are a bunch of vigilantes and they're they're break they're taking the law into their own hands is the word he uses, and Batman in space. And then she says, "What law?" And he like, "Okay, I accept your point on that. That ever since the Federation kind of took a step back, it's become a, a lawless place out there in the galaxy." Which I didn't believe the genuineness of that line. Like what from whenever from, he's from Patrick Stewart? from Picard? Okay. Yeah. Why? It just it it's it seemed forced to me, and and maybe that's just me. I don't know, but whenever he said, "Good point," or or whatever he said to that in that regard, it just it sounded so fake to me. I don't know. I bought it. I think it. I think it makes sense. Like that's part of his disillusionment with what Starfleet has become. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to get bogged down on just one line, but it was just, I don't know. It was weird for me. Okay. And then, and then she basically says, I'm not interested in 
hearing a lecture from you. Um, the only thing, the only thing worse than doing something that you, well, I forget the word, what does she says? She says, the only thing worse than doing something like this is not doing anything at all. Which I thought was a great line because you finally start to see that somebody is calling Picard out on how he's behaved and he, he doesn't act astonished by their their reaction to him. He finally gets it here that he just slunk away and he is in the wrong. And I and I feel like we finally saw him acknowledge that point right here. I think Yes, and I think uh, Sister Mary Frances, or whatever her name is, from the you know Warrior Ninja Nuns from last week, kind of did that too. Um, you could save. Uh, what was it? Hold on. You couldn't save everyone, so you chose to save no one. Right, she does say it, but I, I still I don't feel like his reaction is one hundred percent. I agree with you in that moment, but here. I definitely think his reaction is, you are absolutely right. And and we're five episodes in, and you're getting these these messages. Like, he's, he's hearing these messages back to back to back with everything that's going on. And, I mean, for all we know, this has been, like, two days that he's been do- doing this. It could be a week or two weeks for all we know. We don't know, like, the actual time frame. But he's been hearing these messages more in the last few days, maybe a week than he has in the last 20 years about what he's done and how he's been acting. So, yes, it is it's it's right on point. It's it's tracking with where he is and in his decisions and and how he's starting to respond to them, for sure. Right. And I just thought to see these two characters who it, it sounds like they've never actually met before from from what we hear to see these two who are two of the biggest and most fan favorite characters of all time finally share this screen and have this really poignant discussion is just really 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 good and i just love the way this scene was filmed yeah yeah there's a a book that just came out called star trek picard the last best hope came out just a few days ago and i'm uh, a couple chapters in and you can you've you start to see um how he actually became an admiral and started how he left the ship and you know started working for starfleet hq basically but the thing that they haven't covered yet is is janeway still at hq basically at the time that he becomes an admiral so that'd be that'd be interesting to to see like does picard have interactions with janeway in talking about the adventures in the delta quadrant and the reassimilation or the deassimilation yeah of annika hansen so Sorry, that was a rabbit trail. But I'd be interested to see if that does play out to kind of connect even more dots, so to speak. Okay, yeah, let, let's, let's focus on this timeline for a second. Um, Voyager got back to the Alpha Quadrant in, what, 2379? Uh, so Nemesis takes place in 2379. And uh, that was in 2002 for us. So uh, Voyager probably got back late 2377, maybe early 2378. Okay, and so we're in 2399 now. So Voyager's right. been back for, let's just call it 21 years, okay? 
Yes. And so the synth attack happened seven years after that. Yes. And uh, yes. Right, because fourteen years ago. So, what was Seven of Nine doing in those seven years? Like, at what point did she join the Fenris Rangers? At what point did she decide that? Um, who knows what happened when she got back to Earth with Voyager? If Janeway still wanted to like take care of her, right? At what point did she decide to go out on her own and maybe break away with Janeway? I think that'd be an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah, and even apart from from uh, Janeway and Seven, not to diminish what you're talking about, Eric, but like like connecting it back to the scene that we saw in the flashback, I mean, Echeb, he started like Starfleet training while he was on Voyager, and we can tell that he completed his training like at Starfleet Academy or something upon returning so I mean like we said we're, we're talking like 2377 8-ish so I mean even he's probably getting out of there around 2380 maybe like actually getting on a ship somewhere around that time frame of 2380-81 and then this thing that he's experiencing with the surgery is what do we say that was 2385 uh be yeah, about 85 yeah so a lot of changes a lot of stuff going on but yeah like i'm it'd be neat it doesn't have to happen but it'd be neat to have that kind of fleshed out and maybe perhaps we'll see that in more flashbacks as the show goes on of like what's going on with with seven or what has been going on with seven sorry more flashbacks yeah like i um i don't know if this is the end of jerry ryan on star trek picard like i said i don't want to know any information about how many episodes these characters are on what episodes they show up right so i don't know if she's going to be on anymore and i don't know what her role is going to be moving forward okay well so yes we we get this this fan service of finally getting a picard annika hansen seven of nine interaction finally taking place and it was certainly enjoyable. That's for sure. And, you know, this as this goes on, uh, we, do, we do see more Seven. Um, spoilers, if you haven't seen it, we do see more Seven. Uh, but I guess, like, with this next scene, as we just keep moving through wait, the story... Wait, before we move away from this scene... Um, yeah. There's that moment when Seven of Nine finally walks in there and she, like, says, like, something like... All of this is pretty fancy. And he goes, Picard goes, well, it wasn't my idea. Which I still find very interesting because he said when he was leaving, I've never felt comfortable here. I've never felt like this is home. I've never felt like I I belonged. But then he gets on the ship and he immediately rebuilds the chateau. And now he's still here and he says, well, this wasn't my idea. But it was your idea. I still, I'm still having a tough time with why he recreated this Chateau Picard on the holodeck here. Yeah, yeah, that was. Thank you. I was. I, that was the thing I was going to bring up that I totally forgot about. But yeah, like, yeah. In last episode, we had the freaking concierge hologram, right? The emergency uh, hospitality hologram, or whatever you're going to call the thing, and asking and and creating this based off of Jean-Luc's 
recollection of his study, of his ready room at his house. So from one episode to the next, you're right. It's like, but wait, the guy was asking you how to reconstruct this thing and making sure that this is the way it was. But yet you're saying this wasn't my idea. So kind of kind of doesn't connect. It doesn't really. And I'm still questioning this this attitude and this idea of keep building Chateau Picard. You know, I think I think I think what if this might be too much fan service, right? And so that's probably why they didn't do it. What if he had recreated his ready room from the Enterprise? And that's what I was about to say, is what if he had recreated the re- his ready room or even his captain's quarters on the D or the E? Right. I, that might you know, be too like, much fan service, and I think that mm-hmm. might be why they didn't do it. But I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah. I mean, I like both of his ready rooms. They were both gorgeous. Yeah, they were. Yeah, especially like the little yellow table runner on the back of his chair. That was that was cool too. Anyway, <laughs> uh, all right. So can we can we talk about this stuff on the screens in the Lost Serena as they're getting into Free Cloud and Stardust City? Can we talk about this? Sure. Right. Go for it. Okay. So let's say that I'm a captain of a ship. Okay. And I'm just minding my own dang business. And I'm coming up on this place called Free Cloud. And I'm paying attention to my instruments. You know, I'm trying to make sure that that thrusters are firing properly, that I got my phasers and everything. And ba-bam! I got a pop-up on my heads-up display. Does that not seem dangerous to well, you? Well, but before those ads popped up, he had to transfer over control of the ship to Free Cloud. He says, it even says there's like, we've now taken control of your ship and basically we're bringing you in on autopilot. But still, like... No, I, I'm right there if, with you. These ads, I mean, I've read some reviews online where people love these things and I absolutely hate them. I was like... What the hell is the point of these things? Yeah. Like, I guess the point is that each one is individually tailored to the person. And we're by seeing the pop-up ad, we're supposed to get some kind of insight into the characters. Because if you notice, like, the one that comes up for Rafi is for, like, drugs. Mm-hmm. And then for Picard, it was going to, like, a classy club, like, to drink some tea. Yeah. And then Agnes and Dar- was was like, we're hiring we're some, hiring at this robotics clinic. Yeah, it was like some rock'em sock'em robots. Yeah. Which was kind of cool, but yeah, like, no one likes pop-up ads. No, no one likes pop-up ads the, now. <laughs> why would we want them 400 years in the future? We don't, right? Exactly. Pop-up ads are annoying, and we're like, get off my screen right now! <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. And anyway, like, that was just something I was thinking about. Like, you know, whether whether it's on autopilot or not, you know, especially if, if a system goes wrong. Like, we know those holodeck goes goes wild kind of, or, you know, holodeck goes, goes berserk type episodes where it just breaks down. 
So what happens if like the navigation stuff breaks down and you have all these pop-up ads and you got to fly this sucker and it's on your heads-up display hologram majigger? You know what I'm I get what you're saying. It could potentially be very dangerous. <sighs> Alex Kurtzman, if you're listening, please. Nope. Please, I beg of you. No more pop-up ads. No more pop-up ads. I don't want to have to install malware and adware on my Star Trek viewing experience, okay? <laughs> yes. I love Star Trek, but please yes, stop. Yes, please stop. Thank please you. stop. I will not be okay. disabling my ad blocker to continue to this site. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot okay um all right so a little bit of fan service i don't know if you noticed it eric but there was a little bit of fan service as we are getting onto the mean streets of las vegas of canto bite I yeah mean, i was stardust totally City. thinking the exact same thing like hey remember that scene in star wars where they go to canto bite everyone loved that right Let's just do that here, because everyone loved that, didn't they? Yeah, pretty much. Like I, the best part, best part of last of be- the Jedi, or best last, pa- the last best Jedi. part of all of Star Wars, right? Canto Bite, bar none, right? Yeah. Everyone universally well, loved that. There, there was a bar. What? I think there, there, you said bar none. There, there was at least a okay, bar, at least one okay. bar. Okay, I got gotcha, you right. But speaking, but speaking of bars, we have Quark's bar. In this scene, yes. Did you see the sign for Quark's Bar? I did not bar? see the scene for Quark's Bar. I absolutely heard Mister Vop mention it. Yeah. So, like when they're when they're first coming up onto the strip, the Las Vegas Strip, they see the uh, uh, Quark's Bar, and then just off to the the top left a little bit, it's Mister Mott's. Uh, right. I definitely saw that. Right. Mr. Okay. Mott's Barbershop. I did not see the sign for Quark's, but I definitely remember hearing Quark's name mentioned. So I thought that was cool, and I'm like, I wonder if that actually was Quark, or if Quark had just, like, franchised, because I mean, he's a Ferengi, and the Ferengi rules of acquisition and stuff like right. that. I mean, he was talking about franchising even back in uh, Deep Space Nine. I think part of that was in a uh, uh, bar Association, I think, is one of the episodes he was talking about franchising. So. Right, yeah. But, but before we go down to the planet, can we just talk about this scene where they're all on essentially the bridge and they're talking through, hey, we found Bruce Maddox, right? This bejazel has put out a request for a facer to broker mm-hmm. a deal between the Tal Shiar. Yeah, and, and yeah, I was trying to figure out like where to place this because it, it intercuts yeah, between... Like, like the like going back and forth like really quickly. Right. So so one of the things that I really like about Star Trek, um, one of the things I think is a staple of Star Trek is the observation lounge or the conference room. And I love scenes in the observation lounge. And it's people were sitting around a table, we're talking through the situation, Picard or the captain, whomever says options strategies give me some give me some ideas and they go around the table and they and picard says no yes yes let's do this you two work on this i love those scenes that's such a staple of star trek and every time i tell people that they're like you just like people to see people sitting around a table talking and i'm like yes (laughs) yes i do because it shows that this is not just an action show where we're just gonna jump right into things without thinking about it I love that about Star Trek, 
that's one of the reasons why I, I'm not a big fan of Discovery, is I don't think there's a single scene of them sitting in an observation lounge around a conference table talking through any single situation. And... Yeah, even even Kirk with his cowboy diplomacy would do that with his right. Group. And and I don't know if this ship has an observation lounge or not. I have no idea how big this ship is, right on the inside. I don't think we have much of an idea. But I just really wish this scene they had somehow found a way to get it into an observation lounge where they're not just standing on the bridge talking through this. And maybe that's nitpicky, but I really wish they could have found a way to do that. Yeah, the yeah, the the thinking through the the logic, the the buy-in, like creating the buy-in and knowing and understanding your team and understanding you know the needs of your team and and, and whatnot. I think it, it, to your point is is really what makes Star Trek Star Trek. It's very it's much more thoughtful than just you know, let's go in guns blazing and solve the problem just by violence. I mean, Star Trek is meant to, or at least I believe Star Trek, and I think you're saying the same thing too, is meant to help you consider considering things that you might not have before and to do it in a thoughtful way. That, I mean, that is Star that's Trek. That's exactly what I'm saying, and that is Star Trek, right? And that goes back, like, listen, um, at JLT, what was the very first... Um, presentation that was given it was called knowing and using the resources of the group that's the very first presentation and i think that's what star trek is all about and that's what those those scenes in the observation lounge are they're knowing and using the resources of your group yeah yeah and and i was trying to be like super sneaky about it but i guess you heard it while i was saying yes i definitely heard it (laughs) (laughs) But it's true, it is, though. It's, it's so very true. true. It's very true. So for anyone that was not in Boy Scouts in the uh, like mid to late 90s and early 2000s, um, JLT stood for Junior Leader Training. And it was for the youth leaders in, in Boy Scout troops, basically, for like advanced training. It was later changed to something called NYLT, National Youth Leader Training. I think it's still going on. So anyways. Yeah. Okay, so this scene, like, we go from the scene on the bridge to scenes down on the planet to scenes in the holodeck, and it's, like, jumping back and forth. What did you think about this editing technique of going back and forth like that? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Did you think it worked for this scene? I'm kind of neutral on it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I mean... Yeah, I'm just I'm neutral on it because you see what they're what Rios is doing, and then you're hearing the plan about what they're going to do, and then it kind of just ends, and you're just there on Canto Bite talking to a snake dude, and so I didn't dislike it, but I didn't like it, and I don't I don't know. I, it kind of works. I I understand what you're saying that it does work and I think the reason why I don't like it is because this is such like an action movie or heist movie cliche right where we cut between okay here's the planning scene and here's the execution scene and we're jumping back and forth and every action movie or every heist movie 
has this style of editing in it and I'm just like I've seen it so many times and after a while I'm just like numb to it yeah and in this in these intercuts you you're seeing like Elnor Picard Rafi all them you know just kind of going through the plan and you had, you had said something at some point about um, Dr. Girardi with Agnes that she's kind of reminding you of Tilly a little bit. Yes, she is. This middling, annoying character. And she, like, I don't mind Tilly. I can take, I can take Tilly up to a certain point. But... Once that point has been reached, like it's it's kind of done and over with, and I'm at that point with with Agnes. Like she is like channeling Tilly, like hardcore. Yeah, welcome to the club. You're a little late. You're a little <laughs> late getting here, but welcome. Thanks, bud. Is there a membership card and stuff? Do I have to pay dues? Uh, no, no. I'll take your money, but let's not go into dues. I'm just going to my bar tab. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like. Allison Pill, like I've, I really enjoyed the heck out of her in like the first couple episodes, like first two really, maybe three. That might be stretching it, but now like with where she's at with this episode, I just I'm kind of done, and I'm I'm hoping that with the back half of this season that things with her will change and I, like I can just erase how I'm feeling with this. But right now I'm just done. I'm. Th- I believe things with her are going to get much more interesting, and we'll get to that when we get to it. Yes. Okay. Yes, we will. Okay, so explain to me, um, why do Picard and Rios have to dress like pimps here? Like, what is the point of this? Because you need a little panache. You need a little panache, and you need to put a feather in your your hat. No, I love that deadpan delivery from Jerry Ryan. When she says, you need a feather in your hat. But, no, it's funny, like, her deadpan delivery. But, why? Why? Explain to me why. I mean, you gotta have a little panache. You gotta, you gotta have a little flash, man. I, I don't know. Because, like, I was looking around. So, I was, I was paying attention to, like, the extras in this, too. Like, in the, the subsequent viewings that I had. And I wasn't really seeing the same thing. I mean, there was that one guy who had, like, holographic wings on his back. Yeah. Did you see that guy? Yeah, which reminded me of (laughs) X-Men. Okay. I totally got, like, Jim Carrey in the mask vibes here. (laughs) That's just what it felt like to me, right? Okay. <laughs> you know, when he's like, he's like so over the top and he walks into that club and he's just like being ridiculous. Mm hmm. Yeah, he's like bobbing his head and just kind of. Yeah, and he's, got the, he's yeah. got the big hat on with the feather in it. Somebody stop me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. I get that it allows the actors to have fun. Right? And I think they were having fun. And it allows... But the one thing it allows, but it shouldn't, is Santiago Cabrera, like, outshines everybody in these scenes. 
And it's like so unfortunate because this is not supposed to be Star Trek Chris Rios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing I was reading to go along with this scene that we're we're talking about. So there were some people that were like, uh, you know, that you don't dress funny or do funny, uncharacteristic things in Star Trek. And then there were like some some side by side shots of Cupid, right? Of like them dressed as Robin Hood characters, yeah. and then like other others as well, and. I'm like, okay, I see what you did there. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you can have fun in Star Trek. But there was a... I don't want to say there was, I don't know how to say this. The story itself was, like, farcical because it was Q. Right. I, I Absolutely. And this is supposed to be super serious here. Yes. So Q is the one that is creating this nonsense that's going on in Cupid and, and others as well, right? I mean, he's like super ex- extravagant. He's got the panache and all the stuff that, you know, Raffi's talking about with making them dress like pimps. <clears throat> so it made, s- I think it makes more sense in TNG than it does in this, but I mean, it is what it is and it happened and you're in, in Rios totally stole the scene on Canto Bite. Yes, he absolutely did. So what do you think of the plan to basically use Seven of Nine as bait to lure out Bruce Maddox, right? Did you see through this plan, and did you know that there was going to be a double cross? And the only correct answer here is yes. I mean, yeah. Yeah, the only correct answer to that is yes. If you did not see that Seven of Nine had ulterior motives here... You one, you don't understand that character, right? Because basically, a hallmark of Seven of Nine is she does whatever she wants and captain's orders, whatever. I don't, not gonna listen to them, right? I'm just gonna do my own thing. That's like a staple of her character. And two, mm-hmm. you haven't seen enough action heist movies to know the double cross is coming. I mean, yeah, just look at. What, uh, the Italian job, look at Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve, Ocean's Anything. Right. <laughs> you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, right? So, totally it was not a surprise when when Seven of Nine jumped in and said, Hey, I'm going to kill this Pajazel now, and all of you get out of here. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill the uh, Counselor Troy doppelganger. Yeah. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah, but um, one thing about this whole scene here, and we did this last episode, and I criticized it then, and I'm going to criticize it now, is... Here we go. Here we go. We're in the middle of a tense moment, right? Last week it was Picard is sword fighting some Romulan senator who then gets his head cut off, and he stops to give a speech before somebody says, hey, your sword is no match for my disruptor. And here we are in this tense moment where we've just learned of this Seven of Nine double-cross betrayal. People have got guns drawn on everybody. And Seven of Nine still takes time to stop and give a speech in the middle of this tense situation. Like, 
why are we doing this? This makes no sense at all to give some speech in the middle of a tense situation like this. And I don't understand it at all. Well, I thought you were going to... I see what you're saying. I thought you were going to point to uh, Dr. Gerardi, like with her... Her whatever she's doing in the episode. Like with, you know, freaking out about knowing how to work a transporter or not work a transporter and everything in between. Uh, Because, like, that was, like, some of the stuff that kind of... Like, we would have these tense moments. And whether Dr. Gerardi's meant to be the comic relief or not it just like some of the her her dialogue just seemed very clunky with where it was placed that's that that too that too yeah that too so but i can i can see what you're saying about about seven but despite that when when jury ryan would deliver that as her character I think it landed pretty no, well. No, I think it did. I think it did, and I think Picard's speech landed well too. Like the content of the speech was good. I just think the placement of it is absolutely wrong. Sure. And it's just not realistic, and it just jars me out of the scene. Well. And if you have no problem with that, you chase or you general listener or general viewer then like i can understand that and i accept that but it just i don't like it that's fair yeah i'll have to watch it again for a fourth time to really see how i feel after a fourth viewing (laughs) that's a lot of viewings that's a lot of viewings well you know i want to i want to try and come prepared i feel like i'm woefully and inadequately prepared sometimes, but eh, it is what it is. Yeah, okay. So what happens next? If I'm not mistaken, uh, Chris Rios gives a little pep talk about revenge and murder and stuff like that, and then there's the the beaming of the beaming up of people and and uh Good old Maddox is on the La Serena. Yes. Um, interesting. We have a different actor here. Like, I don't think we mentioned that at the beginning of the show. We did right? not. This is not the same actor. He looks nothing like the original actor, which is disappointing. Right. And I know yeah, that. Uh, and I know that you had said at the beginning you wanted to mention something about about these. I don't know if you wanted to get into, when you wanted to get into that. Yeah, it's. I'm trying to remember. I think I took my finger off the button, yeah. but like that's the thing is, like you were saying, we we had Brian Brophy, who was originally the actor that portrayed Commander Bruce Maddox on the amazing Measure of a Man from Star Trek: The Next Generation season two, and you know, like you're also saying with uh, Manu, you know, him as as Echeb and. I don't, I just don't get it because I know, I know that Manu would have been 100% on board with reprising his role. He's been on Twitter saying that kind of stuff, that he would return to play each Eb in a heartbeat. And say, and I don't know about Brian because Brian, he went from acting to being like a casting director, basically. So, I mean, maybe his acting chops just weren't up to snuff. Um, or he felt uncomfortable doing it, but 
yeah, like it was, there was just such a disconnect between, like, the original characterization of these folks. More, more so with Maddox because we actually get dialogue. Not, well, we got dialogue. We get, we get more than but, one small scene. Yes, and it just, it was weird. Like, Bruce Maddox had like this arrogant creepster vibe about him I think in season 2 of Next Gen and now I don't know and can we talk about the fact that that Maddox had to have been about 30 something in Next Gen and this is 30 years ish it, actually it's more it's it's th- yeah it's 30 year, more than 30 yeah. years after and yet he's in a relationship with someone that's probably young enough to be his daughter that's kind of weird. Yeah, to me. the actor definitely did not look old enough to portray to portray this character. I I yeah, Commander. I Maddox. always com- imagine Commander Maddox and Riker were about the same age. Because yeah. like yeah, Riker's I mean, a full commander. I think Maddox was only a lieutenant commander. That sounds right? right. And you know the actor, I'm sure, in the original one was around 30 years old. So we should. Uh, this actor definitely looks too young to play. Bruce Maddox, and yeah, I never, I didn't even think about the idea of him being in a relationship with someone that's so much younger than him. But you're totally right. It's a little yeah. creepy. I mean, it, it's not like it's never been done before. I mean, if you're in a relationship and you're listening to this, uh, take no, please take no offense. I mean, that's that's all you and stuff. But it's just the optics of of the way that this is in this show, it just, it comes off very odd to me. And unless there's just something we don't know yet. I mean, maybe, I mean, I know I said like early on, maybe, maybe Gerardi's a an android. Yeah, maybe this is not the real Bruce Maddox. Maybe he made an android copy of himself. There you go. Who knows? Who knows? Shazam. I find that highly unlikely, but. Fascinating. Yeah. So we beam back up to the La Serena and we rushing Dr. Maddox off to the to the sick bay, wherever. And uh, Seven of Nine and Picard have this moment here together, which again, all of these interactions between Picard and Seven in this episode are fantastic. Here's something that Yes, and here's something about this scene that kind of made me tilt my head a little bit, and maybe this is making me like a Star Trek uber nerd or something, but the que- uh, the questions that Seven asked Picard about, like, regaining, like, do you feel like you've recovered from the Borg? Do you feel like you've regained your humanity, basically? And he says yes, and then he says no. But if you go in the Wayback Machine to the drumhead with the Admiral uh, Satie asking him do you feel like you've fully recovered from your time with the Borg and he says yes not with sarcasm or anything like that it's a very firm yes and I don't I don't take that that performance of, of what he's saying in the drumhead to be disingenuine at all. We got to remember that best of both worlds, Picard had only been assimilated for a couple days, maybe a week in the grand scheme of things. Seven of nine, she was, I mean, a baby. 
She was a little munchkin whenever she became part of the Borg, and she spent a lifetime with the Borg. It is not comparable, in my opinion, to to be able to say yes, to to, to ask that, really. I mean, Picard, like I said, just stop me, because I'm, no, I'm no, going to no, start. No, 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 okay. So, so here's, my, here's my response to to your your thought pattern here. When Picard is talking with Admiral Satie, he's talking with someone who cannot understand his experience, right? Someone who has no comprehension of what it what he went through and someone who never could understand what he went through. So when he says yes completely to her, he means it and he has to say that to her because like, even if there is a doubt, she can't understand that that doubt will always be there. But when he's talking to Seven of Nine, this is someone who has a much different perspective because she was with the Borg for a long time. And this is someone who can understand. And so I feel like you're able to talk more candidly. Right? And both, both statements, both times are true. Right when he's talking to Admiral Satie and he's talking to Seven of Nine, both of them are truth. But when he's talking to someone who is an ex Borg, he can be a little more candid because they both understand each other. And she says, "Do you feel like you regained your humanity?" And he says, "Yes." And then she's like, "Do you ever feel like you've come all the way back?" Well, they can understand each other when they say. No, there's probably a little part that will never come back, and that's where I think the difference in those two, in those two scenes and those two moments in time are. Even okay, but it, even if we do go that, go with that, and if if we're getting too far in the weeds, then we can move on. But I just I find it interesting that Picard, having been assimilated for a few days, compared to her experience of a lifetime that he doesn't feel like he can come back or will ever come back. Like, that's just... But I but I also feel, feel like you have to understand that everything that we've seen of Picard po- post-Lacutus, he's, he's never recovered from this, right? We see in the, in the episode Family, we talked about Family in our Best of Picard episode where... Like, this is in the immediate aftermath, so he's still really raw and emotional, but he has this this epic breakdown, right? But then we also see later in the episode Iborg where he's still not over it when he's confronted with Hugh, and he, like, doesn't want anything to do with Hugh at first because he's so hurt. And then in First Contact, the movie... You you can absolutely tell that even however many years after, he's still very much hurt by it. And I feel like we get some of that same emotion still here even later when, like, they're acting on the down on in Stardust City where he's talking about how, oh, she was assimilated so young and when the Borg get into you so young, you could never get them out. And there's part of me in that moment that feels like like he's speaking the truth and that's what he really believes and this is still part of his his hurt the just the the hurt to his core 
that he feels from this experience, even though it was only a few days. Sure. I don't know. Like, for those that are listening to this right now, uh, what are your thoughts as as Eric and I kind of talk about this this uh, lived Borg experience between these two characters? Uh, please, I want to hear your thoughts, so put in the comments of um, Facebook group or send us a note. I'd love to, to hear what you're thinking. So uh, I'm sure Eric and I could talk about this for a long time, but I don't want to get too bogged no, down no, in, no. in this one part I of dialogue. I don't think this, this, is, this is a bogged down moment because I think this is what star trek does well is it allows us to talk about situations like this right and it's very i don't know what the word is but this is this is one of the things that i think makes star trek great is little scenes like this this is one of the more uh, perhaps one of the more philosophical and existential moments in this series compared to i mean discovery right and and i actually i actually um saw an interview i read it didn't see it with jonathan frakes who directed this and he was like we would never have been able to film a scene like this in the early days of next generation because gene roddenberry wouldn't allow us to have people question their humanity and i think that was a really interesting note from jonathan from jonathan frakes yeah that is very interesting. Huh. And I wonder if Rick Berman was also against that too, since Rick was more or less, you know, Gene Roddenberry Jr. when it came to running Star Trek, especially after he passed away in nineteen. Right, in the immediate aftermath. But I think Rick yeah. Berman kind of loosened his grip on Star Trek. He's still he's still in, definitely the man in charge, but he let he let his showrunners do their thing absolutely yeah so, so, so you know, did you notice okay I, no go ahead sorry no no go um, ahead it's cool I, I think as we move on from this scene where um, uh, Chris Rios leaves the transporter thing there the little transport enhancer there because he mm-hmm. knows like what seven of nine wants to do and he's like letting her do that so he like clearly places that transport enhancer pattern thing there and I think Picard even knows what she's going to do when he go when she goes and grabs those two phasers and I think he's reached a point where he understands that she wants to do this and she needs to do this and then she steps on the transport pad and you hear the Voyager theme music playing I love love that. that too like I love me some Voyager theme music and I just thought it was really nice how they snuck that in there just how in episode two they snuck in the next generation theme music when picard transports into starfleet headquarters yeah 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 and that was one thing i was going to bring up was was the music and seeing if you'd noticed it and um that that was a great moment it was it was very uh tastefully done in how they incorporated it and uh really really enjoyed it so we we more or less have like i think two and a half ish scenes left uh with seven going back to the surface and then kind of the rest of it kind of being in in sick bay yeah so uh not much to talk about with seven going back to the planet right she decides to do a little sh- do, do some do shooting. Some little shooty shooty right 
some pew pew yeah, pew pew and she kills some people and then action hero seven which i totally think like fits with her character that we've seen of like i, I even mentioned it like um i'm just gonna do what i want orders be damned yeah so not i mean like you said there's not much to really talk about she goes back shoots some people and then starts firing the uh type three phase rifles and that's boom, boom boom yeah yeah dual wielding some some type three phase rifles so uh all let's right go to, so let's go to say first let's yeah so we kind of this is slightly intercut to a certain extent where we have like with picard and without picard and the with picard we have maddox who's beamed aboard with the other folks that just came on board prior to um seven going back to the surface and he's seeing um aggie he's seeing dr gerardi dr uh, bruce maddox is and picard's starting to talk and and ask him these questions about like you know dodge and soji and things like that and finding out that they were purposely sent to these places for yeah, a purpose. The purpose is to find the truth about what happened with the Mars attacks. Yes. Right. And so, so finally, here we are, halfway through the series, and we're. we're I feel like we're just now getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. With this. With this setup here. Yeah. And as we see them talking about, there is another. You have a twin sister type of thing. We get like some weird looks and reactions by Dr. Girati off to the side doing whatever the devil right. she's and doing. And if you don't know what's about to happen, again, I don't think you're paying enough attention. If you don't if you like don't see what's about to happen, you're not paying enough attention cuz it's blatantly yeah, obvious what's about to happen. Yeah, there's some major stuff that's about to hit the fan like Right. Hardcore. And before we get to that, I just want to bring up something, and I'll say it here. This is part of the I told you so that I mentioned at the top. Um, mm -hmm. Maddox mentions their Dodge's onboard mom AI. And so we had talked about this in the pilot episode where Dodge calls her mom, and her mom says, go to Picard. And then in the second or third episode... Um, Soji calls her mom and her mom like like she's talking to her mom and she like falls asleep on her bed and I said I didn't think this was an actual person on the other end I thought this was some kind of control computer program and you had said that I'm, if I'm wrong about this I apologize but I believe you had said that you thought that this was an actual person on the other side and, I did and, he, I, I, and I here now that. we are saying we are getting proof that told you so this was, this was, I don't want to, I told you so, but <laughs> this was a, an inbuilt AI program. Yeah. Yeah. And I think either could have worked out, honestly. But, I mean, in the in the grand scheme of things, I mean, it makes sense. And you said the word control, so I really hope this doesn't um, have to do with no, control. please stop. Okay. Yeah, um, I've heard some things about how um, some of this might relate to one of the short treks, and please no. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so we get this scene with Bruce Maddox, and he's laying out um, 
where where Soji is. Right? She's on the artifact. The reclaimed Borg cube? Yes, that one. Oh, behave. <laughs> like, like, oh my god, you, like, when you first mentioned that on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I totally didn't see it because I've only seen Austin Powers, like, once. But now that you show me all those pictures and gifts, I can't unsee it. It's totally there, right? You are totally right. I told you, you did. So. You told me so. Like, absolutely. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh man. So so Picard walks away, walks away, and Doctor Gerardi comes up, and uh, what happens here? She presses a few buttons, and uh, she decides that she wants to uh, really live up to her her old school mentor of Doctor Kavorkian and help with a patient-assisted suicide. She helps him die. That is what she does. And while she is doing this, what does she say? She says... If you only knew the things that I knew, or I wish I had known these things. If you only knew the things that I knew, I wish I didn't know what I know. I wish they didn't show me what they did. And this is just one more thing I'll have to atone for, helping you to create these synthetics. Yeah. Yeah. And... And I'll, I'll do another I told you so moment right here um, in episode three when Agnes has her visit from Commodore O. I said, oh, yeah, I said sh- there has yeah. to be more that happened here. I said that I think there was like some kind of mind meld or brainwashing or tracking device or something where this was a setup and Dr. Gerardi was sent to on purpose to like infiltrate Picard's group here because that's what uh, this Jat Vash or whomever, right, wanted to have yeah. happen. And I'm this scene tells me that I'm right. So this is I think this could go one of two ways. The first of which is the one that I've already stated, where she's an android. She's a synthetic android, like Dodge and Soji. I've already said that. I'm not going to go into it. The other part is that she's kind of experiencing something like uh, Jordy did in Mind's Eye, where she's been brainwashed somehow. To, to your point, you know that that's the only thing that makes sense right. to me. It's either synthetic android or Mind's Eye. Yeah, part and two. it had to happen right there at that scene that she had her discussion yes. with Commodore O. Where it, where it so, so quickly w- cut up and abruptly cut away from their meeting. Yes. So some kind of activation. Maybe it's not the same kind of like murder bot thing that Dodge and Soji might be. Perhaps it's some other kind of activation. If it is, in fact, a synthetic android. Or, again, it was a very advanced brainwashing thing like Mind's Eye. So I'm not going to keep repeating myself, but... That, that is literally the only thing that makes sense at this point with the information that we Correct. have. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I am very, very, very interested to see what happens with her and, like, what this does to her character. Like, is she going to be like, I don't know, is she going to be like a, um, like a Keska? Did I say that right? Seska? Seska. Sorry, God. Seska. Is she, is she going to be like a Seska kind of character? Or, um, 
or what? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen from this point on either, and I would, um, think my, uh, my thoughts, right, my opinions about what was going to happen probably end here with, like, some kind of brainwashing, and I figured that was what was going to happen, but I don't know what's going to happen from this moment on. And I'm not, like I said, yeah. I, and I've shared my beliefs on a lot of theory crafting, and I think it's best not to try to go down those rabbit holes too far with your own theory building. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. So, I think... There's we're, there's we're one done. more scene, right, that we skipped over, and it's the scene with Rafi and her son. And I understand why we okay. skipped over it, because... For me, while it's a good scene, I think it's well acted between the two of them, and I think it's a poignant moment, it is totally, totally out of place in this episode, and it just does not fit for me. Yeah. And it was... It's just too much of, of like, other genre cinema that we see. Like, mom or dad is a an addict of some kind wasn't there for the kid tries to get clean or does get clean comes back tries to make amends and kid won't have it and it's like you're saying it's just out of place and um and like knowing people close to me like with that it was just um hitting a little too close to home and it just made me feel uncomfortable seeing that after having like known people close to me that have been that way so anyway sure not that it took me out of it but it was just i i don't like it right for whatever right i i hope that something comes of this scene because we hear we hear her son mention the conclave of eight whatever that is right hopefully the point of that scene was to introduce the conclave of eight and that'll have some impact later in this story I can't I can't understand what the point of this scene was if it's not for that one little piece of information. So, fun fact, I don't know if you knew this, Eric, or if you even looked it up, but the guy that plays Rafi's son is the real-life son of Cuba Gooding Jr. I did not know that. Yeah, that is Cuba Gooding Jr.'s son. From his, um, I think that was from his first marriage, because um, the guy, so... That guy, um, he was born in 1996, so he's 23, 24 years old. So, how about that? Right around the time Jerry Maguire came out. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Okay, cool. So, I think that's the end of the episode. Thank God there were no artifact scenes in this episode, right? Like I yes. said at the top, I think my favorite scene, the, my favorite part of this episode was the interactions between Picard and Seven. But my actual favorite part of this episode is that there were no scenes on the Borg artifact. <laughs> don't don't worry, don't oh, worry, we'll have we're more. We're definitely going there next week, right? And yeah. and I'm actually we're excited sh- to go there next week, right? All of the scenes on the Borg artifact until now have been terrible. But I'm actually really looking forward to going there because Picard is going there, and I feel like we're finally going to get somewhere. I, there's going to be like some hardcore like PTSD stuff going on with Picard next week. I'm going to call it right. Oh now. yeah, absolutely. I agree. I mean, because 
this will be the first time he's been on a board cube since he was assimilated. Right, because he was never on the board cube in first contact. Right, they nope. assimilated engineering, but so he was around some of that stuff, but never actually on a board cube. Yeah. Yeah. So this will be very interesting for Picard and company next week, and uh, that will certainly be very interesting to see how it plays out. And um, I'm wondering if we will get some kind of flashback to Picard as Locutus for the flashback of the week. I I hope the flashbacks are over. I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I, I think the flashback made sense for this episode. Um, but I, I'm hoping we're done with it. I, I, I doubt we are, because that seems to be the format of the show. But I'm right there with you, and I'm I'm done with the flashbacks. Alrighty, you heard it here, folks. So, uh, anyway, I think that's I think that's about it. Um, I think the way that we normally end these is kind of giving it giving this episode a rating. So, if you want to do our normal number rating or a letter rating. Uh, for this particular episode, go for it. Uh, this episode is very strange to me because there are a lot of things that I like about it. There are a lot of things that I don't like about it. There are a lot of things that I like, just not here. Like, I said this last week that I thought the way they introduced Seven of Nine was uh, was forcing her into the story. It didn't make a lot of natural sense. And I'm going to double down on that that thought right now I don't think it makes sense to bring Seven of Nine into the story this way I think this was forcing her in here and while I like this story I like seeing what's happened with Seven of Nine and I like seeing the interaction between her and Picard because they have this shared unique history of being ex-Borgs I don't think it fits here and I don't like it here right? I, I'd be totally interested in seeing a seven of nine standalone movie you know like the han solo movie you got that right which really didn't work all that well i would have been totally interested in seeing uh a seven of nine standalone movie where we got this basic story in that format and i would watch the hell out of that right but i don't think it works here i really just don't think it works here sure right i think it's forcing her into the story and then I said, I think the scene between Rafi and her son, while it's acted well and it's somewhat poignant, it is kind of a trope and a cliche that we've seen a lot, and I really don't think it fits here. So this episode, a lot of it works for me, just a lot of it doesn't work for me here. And so I think I'm going to have to give this episode like a 7 right right okay. and it's not because i don't like it it's just because I, I don't like it here in this moment in time okay okay so for me like i was i was telling you uh you know you and i we kind of text early in the morning on thursday after watching her i do m- most of the texting <laughs> um but it, i mean regardless like when i had first messaged you and you you kind of called me out on it earlier in the episode that I did the Picard facepalm uh, upon initially viewing this, and like we've talked about in other episodes so up to this point, they get it gets better with each subsequent viewing. Um, just 
I don't know. Some of the things just seemed uncharacteristic throughout this this episode of like the characters and the story and just it, it, the episode just wasn't firing on all thrusters for me and I don't you're, you're right this episode is kind of a, an odd duck in how to kind of place it kind of how to rate it and I'm somewhere in the ballpark of like six and three quarters and a seven so I'm kind of tracking right there with you with how to rate okay. this yeah and that's really interesting because like Last episode and this episode are what uh, I think we're on the same page. These are, I think, are the two weak points of the series so far, right? Specifically, definitely yeah. last week's episode. Um, mm-hmm. But these were the Jonathan Frakes directed episodes. And I'm so and disappointed because I was expecting so much more. And maybe my rating has to do with the expectations of, of having Jonathan Frakes direct these. But I was just so disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Some of the best Trek, both small screen and big screen, the episodes have come from Jonathan Frakes. Period. Even the best of Discovery has come from Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, Jonathan Frakes absolutely directed the best episode of Discovery. Absolutely. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm whatever. I'm wondering what the listeners think with like their rating um, and like what they've seen so far. Are you guys on par? With kind of like what we're saying, a little higher, maybe a little lower. Uh, maybe it was a 10 out of 10 for you. I don't know. Um, love to hear about that. And like send us a tweet or an email or somewhere on, on the socials. Just let us know. Uh, but I think we've done fairly decent. Yeah. <laughs> with yeah, yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> we're good. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyways, next time uh, we'll be starting the back half of Star Trek Picard. So we are now, guess what? We're 50% and, of the way. We're starting five, the back half. We're 50% of the way. And like Chase always says at the end of these, we are enjoying Star Trek Picard. We absolutely are. Yes. I am definitely enjoying getting up on Thursday mornings and watching these episodes, right? It is it is yeah. a fun ride. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's different. And I'm going to save, like, any like significant like criticism until it's over until it's over until the very end if i if i go on a diatribe it's going to be once i've seen right yeah because we have to know how it all pieces together and we don't have the full picture yet yeah so we'll do apart from and i'm kind of springing this on eric right now but we'll we'll continue to do these like week by week reactions and then we'll do um probably like a final Reaction to like the entire like season one type of thing. That way we can collect our thoughts um, and like we can react to the final episode and also react to the first season. Right, as a I whole. think that so, is a good idea. So what we'll probably do when we do that uh, for those of y'all listening right now or even listening in the future, um, we'll probably take like a week or two weeks off just to let it marinate, and then we'll just if we decide to watch the whole series again, cool. Um, or whatever, but we'll we'll probably take a week to two weeks off before we do a full season, like in depth review. So does that sound? No, fair No, that to you, sounds or? fair. That way you can ruminate on your thoughts, right? Maybe get some distance from it, and your your brain is not doing this, right? Yeah, it's not. It's not yeah. a hamster yeah. wheel. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. 
Well, uh, we'll be back again uh, next week. Uh, next week uh, will be uh, certainly interesting as uh, we uh, not only watch this, but also record this for you. Um, I'm going out of town for a little bit of fun, so uh, we're going to do our best to get this out on um, Sunday when these normally drop for you guys. So uh, if it's Monday before it gets out, just give us a little mercy and grace on that. Just appreciate that in advance. Uh, but other than that, hope you guys are doing well. Uh, glad Eric was able to be here for, with me for the first five, and I know he's going to be here with, for me for the last five, and uh, we'll go from there. So as always, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of Engage. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts, your reactions to kind of how this episode is landing for you, what you like, what you not like, uh, and anything in between, basically. So, you know, not only that, but just connecting with us in general, we would love, we'd love to connect with you and, you know, hear more about like your Trek story, your favorite episode of Star Trek, favorite character, or just some kind of positive moment or just like, you know, significant moment in in your trek life and your trek story or just life in general and how trek has maybe impacted that so uh, to do that uh, make sure you open up hailing frequencies and remember you can connect with us by entering in coordinates trtvpod at gmail.com you can also send us a voice only transmission to 817-752-4757 remember there's a three minute time limit in your comments your message may be used on a future episode of Engage, These Are the Voyages, or TRTV News. Now, if you want to send in a communication that might take a little bit longer, uh, that's okay. We have those subspace uh, communication buoys that you can use, and you can do that by making sure it gets to the Lone Star Station by entering in coordinates P.O. Box 2455. Azel, Texas, A-Z-L-E, 76098. Guys, I want to thank you once again for engaging with us today as we have talked about Star Trek Picard, Episode 5, Stardust City Rag. We'll be back next time as we talk about Episode 6, and make sure you keep your ears peeled for our next uh, regular show episode on These Are the Voyages. You guys are fantastic, and as always, may you boldly go and make it so.